We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1 today. Last week we read as Peter gave us insight for living a Christian life. And he started off telling us to be sober and then following by being obedient and then finally calling us to be holy. There was a progression to that. And the more mature we become as Christians, the more we realize that we're dependent on Jesus Christ for each of these things. We're dependent on him to help us be sober, help us be obedient, and help us be holy. Because we can do none of these things in our own power. In our own flesh, we're led to do the things that make us comfortable, that make us happy, or that we think are going to bring us peace. As Peter continues, he's going to reveal how we go from being part of the human race to being children of God. We're still living in the world. We're still part of the human race. But as children of God, we have a completely different future. We have a completely different inheritance. Our inheritance isn't based on what we have here on this earth. And Chuck Smith used to like to say, it's all going to burn. And it is. It's all going to burn. It's all going to be gone. So I'm glad my future isn't based on what I have here. Because what I have here has termites and, and it has other insects, scorpions. and st I don't want that. So I'm looking forward to what we're going to have in the future. Today's message is titled, The Chosen of God. When we concluded last week, we were reminded that we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we were redeemed. It cost us more than we could ever afford because we could give every drop of our blood and it wouldn't be good enough. But his blood was the perfect blood. We continue our study through 1 Peter with chapter 1 in verse 20, where Peter writes, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was manifest in these last times for you, for all of us. But Peter was writing this 2,000 years ago. Peter believed that what was being written, what the gospel that was being developed back then. Remember, they didn't have the Bible back then. All they had was the Old Testament. All they had were the Hebrew scriptures. And so that's what they were depending on to point them to the Messiah, to Jesus. And so here they read those scriptures. They knew the truth based on what they had, the Old Testament. They were writing the New Testament. That's what we're reading. They were producing it. They were living it. Okay, but he believed back then that he was living in the last days. And it was. Because he's been in heaven for 2,000 years. So for him, it was the last days. 
But when we take the term the last days and apply them to the time on earth, we know that we are much closer to the last days than he was. You see, he lived 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years have passed since then. And now we know by what we see in prophecy, the things that we see going on in the world today, all of this points to the fact that he's coming back soon. Now, will he come back before I die? Before you die? Before I don't know. But I believe it's going to be very soon. And the good news is, the last breath I breathe on this earth is going to be followed up by the first breath I breathe in heaven. I'm, I'm not going to go into some holding place. I'm not going to have to go suffer in some place for a while for all the sins I because I'd be suffering for a long time. But I'm going to enter directly into the presence of God based on what he did, not what I did. You know, my, my man card isn't because I, you know, I did something special and I earned my man card. You know, it's just from the fact that he gave me the, the card, the son of the living God, he gave me that card. You can be a son or daughter of the living God without doing anything other than inviting him into your life. That's all it takes. So God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him so that we can have faith and hope in God and in Jesus. That's what he's telling us here in these scriptures. There are many religions in the world that have saviors, that have prophets, that have messengers, and they're all dead. Every one of them. They've all been buried in the grave. They went from life to death. There's only one that was raised again from the dead who now sits at the right hand of God. There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. And so our Savior, when, when people say, well, you know, there's many different ways to God, there absolutely is many different ways to God. They're absolutely right. But there's only one way to having eternal life in heaven with God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Everyone else is going to get a chance to stand in front of God, too. I don't want to be there. Because that's not the presence that I want to be in explaining why I didn't receive his son as Lord and Savior. So everyone will stand before God. But everyone is not saved the same because God sent Jesus to save us, period. We, didn't have any, we don't have any other choice. God would not be a nice God, a loving God, if he gave us many ways. Because then he would have saved Jesus to die on the cross for no reason because there could have been a different way. I could have just gone and handed out flowers at the airport. And, and that would have got me into heaven. Or, you know, I could have just knocked on doors. But see, God sent his son because there was no other way. And Jesus even prayed in the garden, if there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, make it possible, but not my will, but yours be done. 
Many of those who Peter was writing to had seen Jesus alive. They had seen the, they didn't see the glorified Jesus, but they saw Jesus walking the earth, performing miracles. They saw him. They, some of them, many of them, saw him after he rose from the dead. Up to 500 at one time saw him after he rose from the dead. So many of these people knew that Jesus was still alive and who Jesus was. But Jesus told Thomas in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have seen and believe, but blessed even more are those that have not seen and yet believe. That's us. You see, we haven't seen Jesus, but we believe because we know he exists. How do you know he exists? Because he lives within my heart. Because I know, because he tells me daily whether I'm doing his will or whether I'm doing my will. I don't like that. I I don't like that Jesus tells me, hey, Rick, why are you doing your will instead of my will? I don't like it. I love it. Because I know that I'm doing the wrong thing and that leads me to do the right thing. You know, I know that if I, you know, go this way and he wanted me to go that way, I know I'm on the wrong path and I know how to get to the right path. So I, I love the fact that I have this discernment, this sensitive spirit that lives within me. I can ignore it. I have free will. I can ignore the leading of the Lord. So can you. Okay, let's be honest. We do. All of us do. There are times where we just do what we want to do instead because we think it's going to make us happy. And then we have to live with the consequences of trying to make ourselves happy because generally it doesn't work. But if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, then Jesus was speaking to us when he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Peter tells us now how to apply what he wrote to us in this chapter, beginning in verse 22, where he says, since you have, been purif- you have purified your soul- souls in obeying the truth, Through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all of the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. When we allow the Holy Spirit to have control of our lives, to take his presence in our lives, our souls become purified in obedience to the truth. That's what Peter is telling us here. The evidence of our soul being purified is the sincere love that we have for the brethren. That's the evidence, the love that we have one for another. I believe that when we're told to love one another fervently with a pure heart, 
Peter is speaking to the church. Not so much the universal church, not so much to the local church, oh, the, the Christian church in Fountain Hills, but to the local church, Calvary Fountain Hills. Love one another fervently. And I believe that it's important for us to do that, to demonstrate our love one for another, because that's how people see the love of Jesus Christ, by the love that we have for one another. And Peter is telling us that's the way we need to do this, to demonstrate our love by loving people that we might not like very much. You know, it's not easy to love someone that gets under your skin a little bit sometimes. That's, we're all human. So we, there are certain people I like and there are certain people that just rub me the wrong way. Now I'm not going to tell you who they are because I love all of you. And you know what? I rub people the wrong way too sometimes. I'm not always, you know, the, the um, easiest person to get along with. And I sometimes have an opinion that may be different from other people's opinions. And it's not that you have to agree with my opinion. I mean, if you do, I'd like you more. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, my opinion isn't always the right one. I know. Cheryl just recorded that. <laughs> but my opinion isn't always the right opinion, and neither is yours. You see, because sometimes we can both have an opinion and both be wrong. Because it may not necessarily line up with what God wants us to know is true. So it's funny how some people can get along with everyone and then, you know, and then sometimes we just, we're like, you like that person? <laughs> what, you know, how, how can you even get along with that person? And, and it's the fact that we are human and we like things a certain way and it's not always going to be that way. But when we look at everyone through the eyes of Jesus Christ, we learn to love Amen. differently. We learn to love the way he loves. Because if I were Jesus, I'd look at me and say, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> you know, you have to remember something. I, I can look really good up here and I can really come... You know, and I have the Bible, so, you know, I have some authority and some leverage here. But you don't know what I think when I'm at home alone. You don't know what goes through my heart when I'm praying alone. And I pray to the Lord, Lord, you know, why do these thoughts come into my head? Why do I struggle with the, the things of this world? Why do I even care about the things of this world? Why do I worry what someone's going to think about the car I drive, the home I live in, you know, the, the food I eat? Why am I concerned about these details? I just want to live my life so that I can be an example 
to Jesus Christ to the world. That's how I want to live my life. But I'm still an Italian from New York. <laughs> so when there's pasta, we're going to celebrate. Moving on to verse 23. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was like, what are you talking about? I have to enter a second time in my mother's womb and be born again? And he was confused as to what Jesus was saying. But we are born again in the spirit. And when we receive the spirit of the living God inside of us, we become new creatures in Christ. And we're born new. We're born afresh. And we're new human beings there. So being born again doesn't make us perfect. Quite often people get confused about that. Well, I'm saved. So now anything I says is pretty much gospel. Doesn't work that way. I've said things that are pretty much stupid. Now, I have tried to eliminate my thoughts from my teaching, and I now stick to the Word of God with my teaching because the Word of God is going to endure forever, we're told here. So if I make it sound like they're my thoughts, then people think I'm pretty smart. But I'm, I'm plagiarizing. I'm reading the Word of God and I'm just delivering to you the Word of God. And so they're not really my thoughts. They're the thoughts that God has placed in my heart, in my head. And I'm really just delivering the very thing that is changing us, that is washing us and renewing us to the person that God wants us to be. His word lives on in us and through us. We're going to continue here in Chapter 2, Peter tells us how living the Christian life changes us. And as we continue with our study, we're in chapter 2, verse 1, where Peter writes, Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious." Therefore is reminding us that since Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God, since he has done that for us, then we should be doing the following. These are the things that we should be doing. Laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Piece of cake? No, these are the things that are natural in the human design. These are part of being human. These are the things that we struggle with in the flesh. And that's what we're supposed to be eliminating from our lives. We can't without the Holy Spirit. If we try to do these things in our own power, we're not going to be able to do it. Then as a newborn baby desires the milk of the mother, we should desire the word of God. That's how we grow. Eventually we'll be able to feast on the meat of the word. 
we have to start off with the milk, the pure milk of the word, and then we continue to grow and mature in our faith as Christians, and then we're able to handle the deeper meat of the word, the deeper doctrine, the, the stuff that helps us develop into the person that God is molding us into, not in the person that we think we should be. Some people go from milk to meat, and then they start feasting on Twinkies. You know, and, and then they think that Twinkies are good enough. You know, and, and Twinkies aren't good enough. You see, I like prophecy. And if all I study is prophecy, then I'm not going to have a healthy spiritual life. I like hearing about the grace of God, the mercy of God. But if that's all I focus on, I'm not going to be fully developed. I'm not going to have a well-rounded spiritual life. So I can't just focus on the things that I want to focus on, the things that make me content. We need to focus on the full word of God. This is what Paul tells us. It's printed on the front of your bulletin, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We equip ourselves for the work of God by the whole instruction of God. We can't just cherry pick the areas that we like. And many churches out there are doing this. They don't want to talk about anything that brings conviction, that discusses sin, that exposes sin in people's lives. They just focus on the good things, all the blessings of God, and oh, how, how wonderful, we're blessed, we're, the grace of God is so... Yes, all of that is true. We have all of those blessings, but we also have the word that corrects us, that challenges us, that rebukes us, that reproves us, that gives us instructions. And when you have instructions, you're supposed to follow them. Not that I've ever built anything where I followed the instructions <laughs> until halfway through. But we have the instructions we need to be following from the get-go because we're not going to end up with the product that God wants to see in the end if we're following our own instructions, if we're just winging it. He wants us to have a full understanding and full knowledge of what he has been telling us here in the gospel. That's the way we're, we're thoroughly equipped for every good work that he brings towards our way. Peter ends the sentence in verse 3 where he says, in, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There are many Christians who believe that the doctrine and the gospel is good and they have knowledge of it. Oh, I, I'm, I've read my Bible. I have knowledge of the Bible. I understand. And it's good to read the whole Bible. You don't have to skip over areas you don't understand. Read it. 
And I'll tell you why. Even if you don't understand it, when the Holy Spirit wants to reveal something to you that you didn't understand when you read it, he'll give you understanding. And at that point, you'll understand it and say, oh, that's what he meant. And that goes from Genesis to Revelation, the whole word of God. That's why we're doing the study in Genesis, because we can learn all the way back in Genesis what they did wrong, and we can learn from their mistakes. We see how well that works for our kids. But we also know that we can partake of the good things of God and grow from it, but we have to partake of it. There are many Christians who believe in the doctrine and they have a knowledge of it, but they don't apply it to their own lives. And they have a head knowledge only. That's like saying, wow, last night I, I, I saw that Cheryl made that lasagna. It was a great lasagna. That was really, really good lasagna. Oh, you had a piece? No. Well, what do you mean? It was really good lasagna then. Well, I saw it. It looked really good, and everyone appeared to be enjoying it. Everyone said how good it was. And, you know, and she told me what the ingredients were and how she cooked it. She told me everything, and it just sounds so good. It looks so good. And I heard the testimony of others who tasted it, and they said it was great. But you didn't have any, no. So how do you know? Many Christians are living their lives that way. They've heard it. They've seen it lived out. They believe it even. They believe that Cheryl makes the best lasagna. Oh, it's the best. But unless they taste it, how does it become part of their lives? How can they give a testimony of what they believe unless they have actually partaken in it. And that's why Peter says, taste and see. The Lord is good. We need to taste for ourselves. Peter reveals more of who Jesus is and how we approach him in verse 4 where he says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. Chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, he's speaking to us here, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone who was chosen by God and precious to God, but rejected by men. And we also are living stones that build his church. We are the church, not because we built it, he built it through us, and we're just living stones that he is putting together and forming his church. We make up the priesthood of God, offering up spiritual sacrifices, we're told, to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 1. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to expect that God would want us to live holy lives. It's reasonable because of what he has done for us. So it is not unreasonable for us to have to live a life of sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, we have to sacrifice animals. Our sacrifice is our life. And we sacrificially live our lives for Jesus Christ and for God. It's a memorial. Our lives are a memorial to God. And that's how we're supposed to be living our lives, as a sacrifice. Nobody wants to hear that. I've got a sacrifice. No, no. We want to hear about the blessing. We want to hear about the abundance, the riches. All of that comes through the sacrifice. Everything we're blessed with comes through our sacrifice. When we sacrifice, we appreciate the blessing so much more. We receive the true blessings of God by what we sacrifice. And so our lives should be lived as the sacrifice. We're priests. They're, our lives are not our own. They were bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we're told to live this way, holy and acceptable. So we've become spiritual sacrifices who are found acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. It's because of him. It's not because of us. It's not because of what we're sacrificing. It's because of what he sacrificed. And we're just, in turn, giving back what we've already been given. So, you know, my life is barely acceptable to me. And how can it possibly be acceptable to God? Well, it isn't because of me. It's because of his son. And so, you know, when we look at ourselves, we can see how short we are in coming up with what God really needs, what God really wants. We come up short. You know? and, and we can love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, but it would still come up short because we're still human. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We need to be focused on our love and our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. But we can never love him as much as he loves us. There's just no way in the world. So God is the final authority on this, and he sees me through his son Jesus Christ, so I am seen as acceptable. You are seen as acceptable. It's not because of what we do, what we've done, it's because of what he has done. Peter now reminds us the scriptures that speak of who Jesus is. In verse 6 he begins, Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, 
He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. <clears throat> Jewish tradition teaches that as they were building the temple, they didn't build the temple at the Temple Mount. They built all the, they, they chiseled all the stones in a quarry because they didn't want the sound of tools chiseling stone to be on the Temple Mount. It was holy to God, and they weren't going to do that. So in the quarry, they chiseled these stones and shaped all of the stones, and then they numbered them, and they brought them up to the Temple Mount, and then the builders on the Temple Mount then positioned the stones where they were supposed to go according to the number that they were in, and they followed that sequence, and they continued building the temple. But then they got delivered a stone one day, and it didn't have a number, and it didn't fit any of the positions where it was supposed to be. And so the builders took that stone and they rejected it and threw it out away from the temple as it was being built. And they continued following the number sequence and building and building and building until they finally got it complete. And then they needed the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the one that held everything else in place. And they call down to the quarry and say, hey, where's the chief cornerstone? And the quarry said, we delivered it already. And then they said, oh, that stone. And they got it, and they fit it in place and completed the temple. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. The Jews rejected him as their Messiah because he didn't fit the design that they had. He didn't fit the plan that they had. And so they rejected him. This is not in the New Testament. Well, it is because I just read it. But it came from the Old Testament. These are scriptures that spoke of the Messiah that prophesied that these things would happen. That he would be rejected but then he would become the chief cornerstone. And that's exactly what has taken place. Many Jews today realize this now. Many more don't. But we listen to the ones, the, the Messianic Jews that have now realized who Jesus Christ is. And they speak and they say, this makes so much sense. It's so clear now. The scriptures are so much clearer. I understand these things now. Where I didn't understand them before, there was a cloud to the things that they read in the Old Testament. But here, it's much clearer now than it was in the past. Jesus now has become that rock of offense. When you mention Jesus Christ, people are offended you can mention Buddha, Muhammad, any other Confucius. You can mention these people. People don't get offended by that. Oh, yeah, they were good men. Oh, yeah. Really? You know, Muhammad, who was a pedophile, 
it's okay to worship him and, and to believe in him and he abused his wives and, and that's okay. You know, we're gonna defend what he says, but Jesus Christ, whose crime was healing someone on the Sabbath, according to man, it was a crime to heal on the Sabbath. So we, we can't have anyone healing someone on the Sabbath. Craziness, insanity. If a clear-minded person would see this, they would say, well, that's foolishness. But it's the truth. And it's what we know to be true. He is the chief cornerstone. The world stumbles at the word. The world stumbles when the truth of the gospel is taught. Right now in a church here in Fountain Hills, there is being taught Evolution Sunday. They're celebrating Evolution Sunday right here in a church in Fountain Hills. They're celebrating the fact that we evolved from apes. Jesus Christ is not the Son of God according to their doctrine. He is not holy. He is just another person. And we should follow the good example that he set. That's what they teach. And so today they're teaching and they're celebrating Evolution Sunday in their church right now. Heresy. Heresy. But this is what we should expect in the last days. There's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be people leaving the church for these things where they're going to raise up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears with things that they want to hear. And that's what we're seeing right now in the churches all over the place. But we think, oh, it's somewhere else. No, it's not. It's right here in Fountain Hills. It's right here. People are being deceived right here in our own community because they're listening to this garbage but it's coming from the Bible. They're reading out of the Bible. Well, they're not reading all of the Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God. It means that it's God-breathed. That's what that term means, God-breathed. And all Scripture is God-breathed. But if you only listen to the things you want to, you end up with ideas like Evolution Sunday and it becomes completely okay. But the word of God is something completely different for Christians, for true Christians who believe in the word of God. And in the world, it doesn't mean these things, but to us it does. Verse nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He's talking about us that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We are a chosen generation, the chosen of God. We are his priesthood. We're his holy people. We're special. And we are. It's not we're going to be. It's not something in the future. We are right now. He sees us this way. He sees us 
at our best and at our worst, but he still sees us like this. Right now, Jesus calls us out of the dark into his marvelous light. But it's not a light that the world can see. The world can't see the light. They're living in darkness. So being this chosen generation, being this special people, we don't have to go around flaunting it. We have to go around living it. You know, when someone asks, well, aren't you special? You can say, yes, I am. I am special. God says so. It's right here in his word. Jesus called us when we were nobody. We didn't have anything to offer him. We, we brought nothing to the game. But he provided it all for us. We're just another person living in darkness, and now we're somebody. We're somebody because of him. We had no mercy, no grace. We didn't stand a chance. But Jesus stood for us. So that's why we have many reasons to praise him that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. We have lots of reasons to praise him because all he has done. We close remembering what Peter told us. He told us that we need to love one another, to be an example of love for the world to see what true love is. And it's not because we are so stinking loving. It's because God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we need to lay aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. It's not because we're trying to become children of God. It's because we are children of God. And that's why these things shouldn't be part of our lives. But we can't do it on our own. Because when my team is losing in a football game, man, there's all kinds of evil thoughts in my head. Why aren't we firing this coach? But you know what? It's, that's just my heart. My flesh wants to cry out. That's not who we're supposed to be. Jesus came to earth to save us, and he even came when he knew that he was going to be rejected by the world. He knew he was going to be rejected. He knew people weren't going to believe in him, weren't going to follow him. They were going to beat him. They were going to kill him. He knew it all. But he still came because of you. Because of you, he came. He died for each one of us. And even if it were only one of us that received him as Lord and Savior, he still would have come. Jesus was the chosen of God for our salvation. And in verse 9, we're told that we also are the chosen of God. Is that awesome or what? We're the chosen. And since that's the case, we should live like it. Amen?